Hello everyone, my name is Tom McKenna and I'm the Sustainable Finance Lead at Jersey Finance. Welcome to our podcast mini-series entitled ESG and Employees. Joining me today are Daniel Reed, Partner and Head of Employment Jersey at Walkers, and David Possilway, ESG Associate Director at KPMG. Today's podcast is the first of two parts in this mini-series and will focus on ESG and staff retention and attraction. The global labour market is undergoing a transformational shift with a range of challenges emerging that impact the operations of businesses. Talent shortages, skill gaps and changing workforce demographics are just some of the issues facing organisations today and Jersey's finance industry has been particularly affected. Consequently, firms are seeking ways to stay competitive to retain and attract top quality people and ESG commitments and values have become increasingly important for financial institutions. What are your thoughts on this? David, perhaps you could begin. ESG itself, one of the key components of ESG is is actually around human capital or social capital, how businesses interact with either the people in their workforce or the communities they operate in. But maybe just backtrack a little bit on that. So ESG itself is a measure of companies' uh, performance on a range of interconnected issues across environmental, social and governance factors. So within the social aspect of that, there is clearly a focus on, on employees, employees' welfare, uh, employee relations. So at the same time, employees are looking for companies with strong ESG commitments that are right, align with their own values. And so having a strong ESG performance as a business is now not only about generating financial value, but it's also about differentiating yourself in that tight labor market that you that you mentioned, Tom. So at the same time, ESG performance requires firms to be good at managing their, their human capital. And, and this is really a key area where they can align themselves to international commitments such as the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So Sustainable Development Goal 8, for instance, is all about generating decent work. Sustainable Development Goal 5 is all about gender equality, reduced inequalities, and obviously there are SDGs in there about good health as well. So all of these are areas where having strong ESG performance as a business can actually help you align yourself and contribute to international development goals. I think one of the the key things, uh, picking up on David's point there is around the S factors. Um, So those S factors are things like diversity, equality, inclusion, looking at the business's gender balance, particularly in in senior leadership roles, how businesses treat their staff, do they comply with their legal health and safety obligations, even so far as looking at the way businesses exit their employees. That's increasingly something that adds into those S factors. These are all traditionally issues that fall within the employment law regime. And actually, they're not really new concepts. It's just we're looking at them through a new lens or a new label. So we're, we're looking at them through that S factor lens. And I think really there's a there's a distinction. What we see with the, the ESG market at the moment is the distinction between compliance. Do businesses have the policies or actually are businesses putting in place those policies and living those policies? Are they actually performing those policies? And I think Jersey's been great at compliance for a long, long time. We've had policies in place. I think it's that next step that we're starting to see the shift in the market as businesses move from qualitative compliance on ESG to actual compliance and performance on ESG. The Great Resignation, a term coined to describe the increased levels of workforce attrition over the course of COVID, played a massive part in the labour market challenges. Do you have any particular examples of things firms are doing now that you wouldn't have seen before COVID? I mean, I think the biggest change we've seen, Tom, is around the wellbeing space. I think previously, 
businesses were aware of their obligations to staff, you know, generally aware of your health and safety duties, but I wouldn't say it was a high priority. And I think what we saw with COVID was a, a sharp change in that perspective. And I think it was created artificially because all of a sudden everyone was working from home and people's stresses, people's family lives, people's uh, obligations, caring obligations, they're, they're all put on a screen. There's no hiding from them. And I think it opened a window to well-being and particularly mental health well-being that maybe wasn't there and an awareness, particularly for managers of, of what their staff were going through. And I, th- I think it was also contributed to by the fact that disability discrimination had come in as a protected characteristic in Jersey in 2018. So, so only shortly before that. And so y- you had businesses trying to figure out how they could help their staff in what was a really, really difficult time. And that that's definitely carried through. And we see it now in terms of agile working is, I'd say, probably market norm in Jersey, in terms of financial services businesses in particular. And you you also see businesses carry through a lot of the good things they put in place in COVID around having mental health first aiders, having um, better awareness in terms of managing sickness absence, having policies in play to help and support their, their employees and their employees' well-being. So I think that that's definitely one of the big positives. I think the other offshoot we saw was around really having to position yourself as a an employer of choice. And so, you know, back to that compliance point, it's it's one thing to put in place minimum policies that meet your statutory obligations. What we've really seen is businesses look to take that next step, you know, put in place something that makes them a market leader, having a menopause policy, for instance, having enhanced parental rights. And so you'll see a lot of businesses will offer way beyond the, the six weeks paid parental leave for both male and female employees. And probably my favorite one is I know of businesses in Jersey that have put in place a right to disconnect. So their employees can say, you know, after 6 p.m., I'm not going to be online. And that is then respected by the business and really allows employees to, to put back in place that work-life balance. Just picking up on, on your point about authenticity, Dan, I think that's really important as well. I think if, if COVID did anything, it, it, it really reinforced the the demands of, of the sort of next gen of, of talent coming into industry now uh, for businesses that really live their values um, uh, and that kind of heightened awareness of, of sustainability, of the kind of interconnection with um, the issues that our, our planet is facing. Really important that, that you're able to demonstrate as a business how you're contributing positively to these issues millennials and gen z are generally perceived of having values more aligned to a more sustainable equitable and just world are you aware of any demands or expectations by employees i think one of the biggest challenges is that intergenerational gap you know we know increasingly we've got the gen z generation coming into the workforce millennials already making up about 40 percent of the workforce and then thinking about how that generation might view things versus our, our older generation in, in the workforce. And look, it might be a, a, a really flippant example, but what one generation thinks is acceptable, the next may not. So if we take the reaction to Friends, for instance, um, which is a show I loved and grew up with, Gen Z will say that show would never be made today because they look at the way things are presented in that show, like the way they fat shame Monica or the way that Chandler's father is presented or the fact that there's zero diversity in that cast. And they say, this show is problematic. I think an older generation reacting to that would would feel a bit challenged by it. And I think for businesses, that plays through in workplace conversations, workplace dynamics. And it's it's how you address those and how you, you adapt to make sure you're meeting the needs of both your future generation, your future staffs, and your current 
generation of stars. It's a real challenge for businesses. I mean, I know from clients that this is one of the the challenges they have, uh, both in terms of recruitment and retention in, in what is a really tight labor market in Jersey. And so you will get candidates come in and ask questions that, quite frankly, when I was looking for a job, I would never consider asking. But that, I think that shows you how far we've moved and how far we've moved in a positive way. And so candidates are coming in and they, they genuinely want to know what is the business doing about diversity and inclusion? You know, what are they doing to change the gender imbalance in the, the, the senior leadership in the business? Because that is going to be a key issue for businesses. What, what are the CSR programs? Is it just you know paying lip service to CSR or does the business actually have an active program that they can get involved in? And I, I think we're then starting to see that early interest in ESG uh, type measures roll through the, the employment relationship. And so I know one person locally who, who got into a business had a very, very positive public image, but behind that, the, the business just didn't live up to its values and that individual felt they couldn't, couldn't stay. They'd moved to that business for a reason that didn't match what they were projecting. Um, and that, that's probably a single example of, of lots of people who go into businesses with one view of how it should be run. And if it, if it isn't, that generation feel happy to, to move and find somewhere that does match their values. Now, going forwards, um, I think one of the pieces that I find really, really interesting is is around travel. And it's hard in an island community. You know, off-island travel is a key part of what we do in financial services. But on the continent, for instance, junior staff are turning around and saying, well, for internal meetings or internal um, sessions and for BD, we don't want you to fly anymore. We don't want you, the senior staff, to fly anymore. And we don't want to fly anymore. And that is forcing businesses to address that and then start looking at alternative, more sustainable ways of, of business transport, taking the train, for instance. Look, it's harder in Jersey to do that. We're an island. Getting off is, is complicated but you know that there are examples locally where businesses say we're we're not actually going to give parking spaces to anyone unless they have an electric car and where the senior leadership team actually tend to ride bikes or electric bikes again to show their commitment to the staff that that you know they're putting these factors at the forefront of what they're doing and they're actually living them not just putting policies in place yeah, I've got to say, I've heard some similar stories. I was really impressed with a firm recently who I met and their travel policy is to actively discourage travel, which is excellent. And it really shows, ties into the things you're saying. Uh, also tying back to one of your earlier points, I, I know of a friend who would not work on a particular client because its activities were so conflicting to their values. With this and other things I'm hearing, superficial gestures like ice creams on a Friday or an annual CSR afternoon at a school may not be enough. Employees want their company to be genuine and have their ESG values at their core. This is difficult to achieve unless it's driven from the top down. Yeah, absolutely. So at KPMG, we have a global impact plan. And what we're seeing is that this is really helping us to join up the dots between our ESG credentials as a business, as in what we do, what we offer our clients, who we hold ourselves out to be as a business, the values that we have, and then the CSR activities as well. So making sure they're all coordinated. And I think that's what employees uh, expect now. They really expect us to have clear values and they expect us to be uh, living those values. So for instance, giving uh, staff uh, time off to go and take part in in community activities, making sure that um, the the initiatives that we're supporting in the community are are fully aligned and really contribute to those areas uh, of positive impact that we're seeking to have overall as a business. So, how do you think firms are adapting to these expectations, and what are their major challenges? I mean, we're we're starting to see firms react. I mean, you can take really public, high profile examples like look at the way Adidas dropped Yeezy 
pretty much overnight last year because of comments that were, were made that just didn't match their values. And I think you know, a more recent example is if we take a business like um, BP, they have publicly stated that their senior executive remuneration structure is linked to ESG factors. And so when you then have their managing director breach their own internal standards around relationships, again, something we're, we're increasingly seeing is something like relationship contracts to make sure that the, the, the way relationships are built with. What we're seeing increasingly is some things like a relationship policy, which regulates relationships in the business. And historically, that used to be around financial compliance, making sure you didn't have any conflicts of interest or any insider trading. But increasingly, it's also going to that D, D, and I profile as well, and 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 pushing pushing into that space. And I mean, it, it's played out quite publicly. But we've seen that their their managing director has breached their policy and breached their standards, and he's had to fall on his sword and he's had to go. And so you are seeing businesses adopt these standards. And I think if you do publicly say we measure people by ESG metrics, you've actually got to do it. And you've seen BP have clear, clearly done that. And I, I think that's. That's the piece around that that intergenerational conflicts is it's one thing I probably keep going on about this. It's one thing to put in place those policies, but that isn't the full D E and I journey. That isn't the full S S factor journey. You've, it's not a constant. You can't say we we meet our ESG goals because we have a great D E and I policy or we've we've managed to in, improve upward diversity. It's constant. It, it's it's checking where you are. It's refreshing yourself, updating yourself on current standards, current practices, looking wider, looking at how you, you, you can do better um, and, and learning from, from other people around you. Thank you both for joining us today. It was great to speak to you. We hope you enjoyed part one of our mini series. Make sure you join us for part two.